This is the second episode of Two featuring Patrick Haggerty of Lavender Country, the first openly gay country western artist. Just in case there are young ears in the room, there are instances of profanity in this episode. Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And now, here's Jerry Springer. Take us to Cuba, because uh, in the song you just did has a reference to Cuba. So, 66, you get kicked out of the Peace Corps. Yeah. And Jerry and I, Megan, wasn't even born yet, but we remember the revolution of 59 in Cuba. And if you were a liberal Democrat, you were at least curious about it, and some people more so. And some people, Patrick, joined the Venceremos Brigade. And you were one who did that. Tell our listeners, what were your experiences there, which would be beyond liberalism? It was outright radical socialists. Volunteers to go cut sugarcane is what the Vince Ramos Brigade did. What were your experiences there? There were two sides to what happened in Cuba. It's actually all come out in the wash for the better decades later. One of the things that was the most disturbing to me about my time in India was seeing children starving to death. That's a rough go. I don't know if any of you have experienced it, but if you have, you know it's a really, really rough go to see a 10-year-old who's about as big as a 5-year-old with rib cages sticking out begging you for any damn thing. That was my experience in India. I love children. <laughs> Most of us do. Four years later, I have to tell this story. Children were begging all the time in India. I went to Cuba. I had an afternoon off. There was a village across the cane field, three-quarters of a mile away. Thatch roof, palm trees, dirt roads. It looked everything like an Indian village. So I was going to go visit. So I was walking up to the village, and the children rushed out, just like they had in India. And I said to myself, self, the revolution is new. Here comes the children. Not everybody gets everything. This is, you know, revolution takes some time. These children are coming. They're going to beg from you. You've had this experience before. Deal with it. So the children were coming up to me. I couldn't speak Spanish. They were saying, dinero, dinero, dinero. So I thought they were begging, because that's what they said in India, money, money, money. We weren't allowed to have money in the Vince Ramos Brigade. It was just one of the rules. So I kept saying, I don't have any money. But the children kept flocking around me, saying, dinero, dinero. And I kept telling them I didn't have any money to give them. Then the teacher came out from the school. This was an eye-opening experience, folks. He came out with a big smile on his face, and he said, you think these children are begging, don't you? And I said, yes, but it's all right. I've been to India. I understand the revolution is young, et cetera, et cetera. He said, 
buddy, you've got this all twisted. <laughs> These children are not asking you for money. These children know that you're with the Venceremus Brigade. These children know that you are not allowed to have money. These children know that you're going to Santa Clara, ice cream capital of Cuba, on Saturday, and they know you don't have any money, and they're trying to give you their money so you'll have something to buy ice cream with when you get to Santa Clara. That was the day I turned into a socialist revolutionary, okay? <laughs> yeah. I didn't need any more ideology than yeah. that. I've gotten ideology and all that. And besides all that, the kids were healthy, and they were well-fed, and they were normal, age, weight, appropriate, and their eyes were bright and sparkling. Of course I'm a socialist. Wouldn't you be? If you had to choose between watching kids starve to death and kids trying to give you money so you could buy ice cream, which one would you choose? Come on. So that was the bright side of Cuba. And I got to see all the stuff about how a socialist society operates and how the women's movement operated in Cuba and what the workers' rights were and how they were treating the mentally ill in a respectful fashion. Wonderful things. So that was one side of Cuba. <laughs> the other side of Cuba was they were as reactionary about homosexuality in Cuba as we were here. They didn't, they just used different names to call you, like scum-sucking lackey of the ruling class <laughs> or whatever they used to denigrate you. Um, they weren't worse homophobes than they were in the States, but they were very homophobic. And when we were in the country, they passed an anti-gay resolution and it created a big stir and there was lots of fighting and it was a very intense time. Um, so my experience in Cuba was extremely positive and extremely negative. Um, yeah. I, it just makes me think, I feel really badly now, because when we were in Cuba, they, kids kept coming up, you know, as I walked by and say, uh, De Niro, De Niro, and I said, you can call me Robert, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, don't don't celebrate it. Just don't. Can you, can you hang out here when this yeah. day move on? We need you, bro. I can take any poignant moment and ruin and it. And ruin it. <laughs> Just, Absolutely. It's a gift. Hey, introduce your band, Wow. Specialty. Yeah. <laughs> this is Zing. Huh? All right. Z-E-N-G, Zing. He does rhythm guitar and beautiful harmonies. And this is my wonderful friend, Julia. We've been singing songs for a couple of years now, and she's does harmony with us, and she does some of my secretarial work. I hate to admit it, but it's the truth. <laughs> Thank you, Julia. This is Jack Grelly. Jack Grelly's a hot country music star out of St. Louis, right? And what I, This is what I had to say about Jack. He is. He's a rising country music star. He is. going to get somewhere. Yeah. I met him in Columbia, Missouri. 
And he came up to me and he said, hi, I'm Jack Relly. I want to do a show with you. Wow. Jack Relly was the first, the first straight white country music person who ever asked me to do a show with them. There you go. I said, Jack, you're going to ruin your reputation. This is really... <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Guy, he might get away with it. This is Cherry. Hey, Jerry. Cherry's our drummer. Cherry's as queer as a $3 bill. <laughs> <laughs> he has a wonderful hand in it. This is Melinda bassist, dyke of life and wonderment. <laughs> She's one of my best oh. friends in the world. She has a new girlfriend. <laughs> She's still available, but she does have a girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> and this is Ryan. Ryan is also a very significant country music star, screamingly talented, wants to do a show with me. You do, Ryan. Oh. Who'd I miss? Chris. <laughs> Tickle fingers, Chris. He's fabulous on the keyboard. And Chris also helps me out trying to get Lavender Country going down the road. He knows some he knows some shit about the industry that I don't know, and so he's been a great help. Did I get everybody? Yeah. What do you think of who, what do you think of Donald Trump? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Test. <laughs> Te testing one two one two. There's a significant pamphlet by Leon Trotsky. And the name of the pamphlet is Fascism, What It Is and How to Fight It. Right. Make no mistake. He is a fascist. Mm. I mean, I can re I'm not going to take the time, but I can recite to you the rules which compromise, which make fascism fascism. They're not just mean people. There's a certain set of sociological and economic principles that are necessary to build fascism. And the man is ringing every single qualification. And so are all of his buddies. Let's not be deluded by thinking that he's something other than a fascist. He's a really bad one. <laughs> he's, he's, he's muffing the job. Yeah. The real fascists are tearing out their hair and going, oh, God, how did we get this guy? He's being really bad at the way he's going about implementing fascism, and he might get his own ass ripped trying to do it. And we can help him do that. <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a goofball and a buffoon and inexperienced and full of himself and doesn't know what he's doing and blah, 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 blah. All those things are true. What is more true is that Donald 
Trump is a fascist. Don't forget it. Do not be deluded. Jerry, following up on... Oh, thanks. Well... (laughs) Patrick's uh, viewpoint... Somebody bring Jerry into the room. Where's Jerry? (laughs) Well, do you think think we will ever have, and some people who voted for Trump hope that he would be the next great president, following who that point of view thought Reagan was a great president, we ever going to have a great president of any stripe? What's your take on that? Yeah, I do want to talk about that. And I will just say, not to get into a a discussion or whatever, as everyone here knows, I am no fan of Donald Trump, and I do not and did not want him to be our president. Um, I don't reach the same conclusion at this point as you do. I respect your opinion on it, but I... That, to me, is too strong. Uh, having Would you like me to recite n- the no. principles of fascism and no. see how he yeah. lines up? No. There are <laughs> steps having... No, no, with you're Michael, wrong. Let me you're finish. Wrong. Let me he finish. is a fascist. Okay, that is your opinion. And, uh, and I, I respect your opinion. It's going to be a historical fact. Oh, you may end up... We'll, you know, we'll both be dead, but at some point we'll, <laughs> we'll find out if, if that is right. There are steps historical steps, which my family lived through in in Germany. So we've known fascism close up, and there are early steps which are similar. But I cannot equate anything that happens in American politics, which what happened in Nazi Germany or even in Mussolini's Italy, um, I, I, I won't make that step. And let's not just, because that's a long discussion. I understand where you're coming from, and I will agree with you that the early steps in 1933, there are some similarities, but there is such a substantive leap from what Trump is doing, which he has no business being president, to what happened is, I'm not prepared to make that leap yet. I've sworn that I will never compare, as angry as I get with American politics, it's too easy for me to just go there and say, oh, this guy's a Nazi, this guy's a fascist, this guy's a... We have to go slow on that. That's just my view. I'm not asking you to agree with it. But here is, on to answer your question, will we ever have another great president? First of all, when you look at the history of the 20th century, there are six leaders that shaped the 20th century, six political leaders that if any one of them didn't exist, the 20th century would have come out differently. There are very few people you can say that. But the six leaders that shaped the 20th century, on the good side, I would say Churchill and FDR, and on the bad side, you had Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, and Mayo. And those six people, without even making judgments, those six people shaped the world and who survived in the world and what became of it. And if any one of them had not lived, the outcomes would have been different. Sometimes worse, sometimes better, but it would have been different. The history of America, when you look at can strong leaders shape the country, if you look at our history of 240 years, there are Three great presidents that we will all agree with. Three that are unquestionably our greatest presidents, Washington, Lincoln, 
and FDR. Four separate reasons. Washington, because he created this nation, won the Revolutionary War as a soldier, and then if he had not been there, we wouldn't have gotten 13 colonies to agree to be one country. And the most impressive thing he ever did as president was step down after two terms to show the world and show America that what happened 20 years ago when they had a British king, that we would not have a king in America, that even though he had been elected um, unanimously with no opposition for two terms, he was not going to run for a third term. He would step down. That was critical what Washington did. So he shaped the idea that America would not have a king. Lincoln, obviously, one of our three greatest presidents, because he saved the country when it was coming apart. We wouldn't be America. We'd have two separate countries if it had not been for him. And he also established the moral basis of our country. He affirmed what Jefferson had spoken about in the Declaration of Independence, but we weren't there yet, that we're all created equal. And Lincoln made sure that that was the moral basis of America. And then FDR, because obviously he, along with Churchill, saved the free world with World War II, and then established forever what the role of government should be in our lives. That is the new definition of America. So even when conservatives come and, for example, want to do away with government programs, there are certain things that no one accepts anymore. They're not going to let you do away with Social Security. They're not going to let you do away with Medicare. You may try to change it. And even now, when they try to do away with health insurance after Obamacare, you can see what's happening at the town meetings. In other words, there is almost a given, whether you're a liberal, conservative, Democrat, or Republican, the mass of Americans say there are certain things we expect from our government in terms of protecting the entire community. And that's what Roosevelt, other than winning the war and getting us through a depression, that's what Roosevelt really established, that that's the new baseline of America. So those three are our greatest presidents. Now, what makes a president great? The reason I say that I don't know that we can have another great president again is because times have changed. To make a president great, let's admit it, you first have to be president during a crisis. You could be just a wonderful president with all the great qualities, but if there's no major thing which threatens the existence of your country or the world, you're not going to be remembered. And so each of our great presidents, obviously Washington, the Revolution, Lincoln, um, the Civil War, and Roosevelt, the Second World War, you, you need a major crisis. That's the first requirement to be considered a great president. The second thing is character. There has to be something about you in this crisis where you step beyond just the regular citizen, the regular population, that you are a symbol of, wow, you command our respect and our attention during this time. So that character has to be there. And Washington, Lincoln, and Roosevelt all showed it in a times, as I said, of crisis. And finally, you have to have the knowledge, the ability to get the problem of the crisis solved. In other words, you have to be able to perform well. You could have wonderful character and be in a crisis, but you don't know what to do. And the truth of the matter is that Washington did help create the country. Lincoln did save the country from splitting up. 
And Roosevelt certainly um, was able to get us through, as I said, depression and the creation of the government's role in our country. So those three had the qualities of greatness. And even the president that some of us loved and some of us on the other side loved, whether you're talking about a Kennedy or a, a, a Reagan or whatever, those three qualities weren't always there. There was always at least one quality missing. Either there wasn't a great crisis at the time or they didn't have the ability to get it through or whatever. So we've had near greats, maybe, and we'll never have a great again. And why do I say that? The reason we won't is because of technology and the development of mass media, we will no longer have a time in our history where the, quote, leader, the president or whatever, commands the stage. We now have, through social media and cable news, every single citizen has a microphone. So whenever a president would say anything, instantly, there are three million critics. They're making statements, too. It used to be that a president could say, I want to give a speech to the nation, and I want one hour of network time. All three networks would have the president address the nation. That won't happen anymore. Because when the president's talking, you have the cable and the social media commenting on everything that's being said. So there is not the voice of wisdom and authority, even if, forget that it's Trump, even if you had a really respected president saying something, there's no way that you command the stage anymore to be this great leader. Now, here comes the genius of America. Our forefathers recognized early on, obviously having no idea about the media, but they created a system where our country would never be dependent on the quality of the leader, of the president. They knew right away that humans are fallible and it may not work. So they created institutions which would protect America from either someone who wants to be a king and maybe even someone who's an idiot. And what are the institutions that they created? The Congress, the courts, and the free press. At various times in our history, one of those institutions, sometimes more than one, stepped in to protect America at a time when it was in trouble. So the civil rights thing, when the Congress wasn't responding and you didn't have a president that really was pushing it, the courts came through. And in 1954, we had Brown versus the Board of Education. And so all of a sudden, we had integration. With the leadership of the courts, other people came along. And finally, a president, Lyndon Johnson, who came along to do it. So there, the courts stepped in, even today, when Trump puts a ban on refugees coming to America, who stepped in to protect it? We're all going on, oh, no, what are we going to do? Trump's going to be here for another four years. This is horrible. This is against the idea of America. The courts stepped in. And when the courts don't do it, you have the free press. This week, particularly, we've been looking, comparing all of Trump's activities to Nixon because of Watergate. And there are a bunch of similarities. You know, the possibility of the obstruction of justice, the comment that we have tapes. I mean, we're kind of reliving this, whole, that the firing, Nixon fired Archibald Cox, and now you have Reagan firing Comey. So there are some similarities there. 
But here's the free press, the New York Times and the Washington Post. We were writing the obituaries of newspapers six months ago. They're dead. What's going to happen now? We have no more journalism. Wrong. We have the free press. And journalism is keeping this country safe right now. And one of the reasons that it's happening is, one, you have relentless journalism going on. People that are committed to the concept of free press, and they're finding these stories. And secondly, which is perhaps the most important, we have, because our principles of this country are so important, they don't come from the top. We, the American people, really do, most of us, believe in the idea America. We have people in the Justice Department that have loyalty and fidelity to American principles and the Constitution, not to the person that happens to be the politician in office. It is so important to them, these people that are, quote, leakers, they're patriots. They're getting nothing out of this personally other than possibly jeopardizing their career. They're not becoming famous. They're not getting camera time. They're not getting paid. They're not writing their books. There are just regular civil servants that so believe in the idea of America that they are willing to get the story just like Deep Throat, Mark Felt, did in, in Watergate to the uh, Washington Post, these kind of people, patriots, are getting the story to the New York Times and the Washington Post, which then winds up in the rest of the media. So, the end of this story is very clear. Our forefathers were brilliant. They understood that the American experiment would not survive if it were purely dependent on the character and ability of the one person at top. That's what you have with kingdoms. That's what you have with dictatorships. That's what you have with empires. But in this country, we have the institutions of democracy that are a check on whatever kind of president we have. And that is the beauty of America. Good analysis, Jerry. Patrick, could you do, do another song for us, would you please? Yeah. You and I have a different worldview. No problem. Okay, okay. We, that's you can still sing another song. <laughs> I sort of like Nelson Mandela and Fidel Castro. Prominent leaders of the 20th century. I'd rather go with them.
Shine. Rise up and 
Wow. AJ, it's okay. We have a different world. Okay, no. But it's okay. That's what we're doing here, dialogue. Yeah. We are. And, and you, uh, first of all, you're such a great talent. And the, the passion of your commitment, of your views, the battles you've been through in life, I bow down to you on that. We may reach different conclusions, but God bless you. Okay? Dialogue. It's a dialogue. Hey, Patrick. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, girlfriend? <laughs> hey, Patrick, uh, we want you to take us out on uh, down by the riverside, but I want to ask you to do one last thing. Would you tell us, and if you have somebody here you want to introduce even better, but tell us about your family life, your current life. I'm going to tell you one, one more story about my father. You're a terrible farmer. You've got to get the hell up out of this valley, <laughs> or you're going to starve to death. It's not going to work for you to farm. You've got to go do something else. Uh, how about you go get a scholarship? You can go to college. Because you're just, you're just, you know, you're not going to make it as a farmer. And it, girls and boys, it was th so the truth. Oh, God, was it true. <laughs> he said... What do you have to do to get a scholarship? I said, well, one of the things you have to do to get a scholarship is run for student body office. There were some other things I had to do to get some scholarships, according to my dad, but that was one thing I had to do. So I decided to run for head cheerleader. <laughs> 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 and I got the banker's daughter, who was the, you know, the boss of the senior girls' clique, and she, you know, she ran the school, so I had her be my campaign manager. I wasn't stupid, right? <laughs> so I'm riding to school. My brother's got a job in town. I want to get to school early so I can get ready for the assembly. I'm putting on my costume, which consists of this huge lipstick smile, ear to ear, glitter all over my face. And my brother said, what the hell are you doing? I said, putting on my costume. I wouldn't be caught dead walking into the high school wearing that. I said, well, John. You wouldn't be caught dead running for head cheerleader either, so. <laughs> <laughs> Off I went into the school. My brother called my dad. Dad, you got to get up to the high school right away. They're going to decimate him. They're going to cremate him. It's not going to, you got to get up there and save his life, Dad. You got to. Saw my dad coming down the hall. I'm running for office. I'm popular, I'm bright, I'm petty bourgeois bound, and here comes Pa Kettle in his clodhopper boots and the cow crap on his jeans and missing half of his teeth. Oh, God. I love my father, but I do not need Pa Kettle raining on my parade, right? So I duck him. So we have the assembly and... It's very clear to my father and pretty much everybody else in the room that I'm going to get this because the banker's daughter said. And uh, we're riding home. And my father said, here comes the punchline of this story. He said, uh, I thought I saw a kid look just like you duck out on his dad today, but I knew it wasn't you because you'd never do that to your own father. I went, Ugh. Sure, I'm glad it wasn't you that ducked out on your own dad today. He knew why I ducked out. 
wasn't because of what I was wearing. It was because of what he was wearing. He said, uh, sure, I'm glad it wasn't you. And I said, Dad, did you have to wear your cow crap pants to my pep assembly? And he said, listen, I'm a dairy farmer. This is what I do. This is who I am. I'm proud of what I do, and I'm proud of who I am. And I don't have time to change my overalls just to come to pick you up at the high school. Now let's talk about you. <laughs> Were you proud of yourself with that lipstick and glitter all over your face? Were you proud of yourself? And I said, well, I think I'm going to win the election. And he said... I think you're going to win the election, too, but that's not what I asked you. I asked you if you were proud of yourself. I was speechless. He said, when you go to the University of Washington drama school, who are you going to go out with at night? And I said, I don't know. And he said, I think you do know. And it's not going to be that McLaughlin girl I've been trying to get you to date, but you won't even pick up the goddamn telephone. I know it ain't going to be her. But let me tell you this. You know I'm in poor health, and you know I'm going to die soon, and you know I'm not going to be here to help you out with this stuff in your adult. So I'm going to tell you something now, and it might not mean anything to you now, but it will when you grow up. Whoever you go around with at the University of Washington Drama School, don't sneak like you did today. Because if you sneak, it means you think you're doing the wrong thing. And if you spend your life thinking you're doing the wrong thing, you'll ruin your immortal soul. So don't sneak. Who gets that from a dad, right, in 1958 in a hayfield? Who got that? I got it. That's why I wrote the world's first gay country album, don't you think? I owed him that. Yep. Take us out on uh, Down by the Riverside, would you? Sure. And we've loved having you here tonight and you the entire band. I'm serious. So great, we appreciate great, it. Great, great. Thank you, guys. Lavender Country, Patrick Haggerty, Down by the Riverside. Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com.
<laughs> How about that? 